We just want to start off by thanking the fine folks at Strive 21 for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Find their link in the show notes below. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Good. How are things? Oh, man. We just finished Alpha at our church. It's exhausting, but I think we're going to have about four four people maybe uh, considering going deeper into the Catholic Church. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So I'm pretty Take pumped. Take that, pagans. <laughs> pagans zero, Catholics one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we set the rules of the game. Um, good man, nice. I'm I am drinking some ancient age bourbon, which was my go-to bourbon, and now I'm starting to realize I'm kind of uh, pun intended aging out of it. So it's kind of a bummer. That's funny. I am drinking flavored water because it's Lent, and I gave up all non-coffee and non-water beverages. So I drink coffee in the morning, and then that's it. I just water for the rest. Nice, nice. Is flavored water still water? I don't care. It is in my definition. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Because if you go out to Europe, they drink tons of gas water. So and that's what it's that just is. gas water with a little bit of flavor. With essence, with hint of a hint. So with a, little, with a nice oil. La Croix. La Croix. Apparently, La Croix has got some bad stuff in there. Yeah, I don't care. I'm still drinking. I don't it. know what it is. Oh, <laughs> man. Dude, I wish you were still here. Really for one reason, just so I could have an excuse to watch three Game of Thrones episodes in a row. Man, people. <laughs> in the past, if I were to go and visit Luke, it would be like going to the bar until we shut it down. Instead, now this time, because I can't drink alcohol, except for one exception, it was <laughs> let's go back and watch Game of Thrones. Oh, so beautiful. So joyful. It was, Such it was a good, good choice. Good Christian fellowship. Good Christian fellowship. It, you know, to be, to be honest, though, it was a little bit of like a flashback to college. Where it's like, yep, let's just set this on read, but let's just keep going. Yeah. Next and episode, we, good sir. It's only one o'clock. It was kind of nice. I'm like, what? Who? I have a wife. What? <laughs> I have responsibilities. So for those of you wondering, I just went up to Cincinnati, Ohio, and did a three-day mission at three different parishes um, in the Cincinnati area, and I stayed at Luke's apartment, slept on his couch. I became the guy on the couch instead of Luke always being the guy on my couch. It's been 10 years since that's been a thing. Yeah, but you know a what? Good long, longer than 10 years, 11 yeah. years. Dang it. I know, but I still want to bring it up. Still want to pretend, Luke. <laughs> no, Brian Kissinger still tells people that I like was a guy on the couch at, at, at his place. I had my own room. I don't know. What I'm always like. and it was, this is 13 years ago. That's a good point. That's a good point. But Maybe still, I should move on. What is dead may never die, especially our college years. <laughs> oh, how appropriate. What is dead may never die. So biblical. Hello, Sansa. <laughs> so let's talk about Game of Thrones. Luke, what do you do think? Uh, so we watched season seven, most of it. I fell asleep during. Every time we would watch three shows, I would fall asleep by the third show. Um, yeah, you was. Well, I'm sorry. I was talking to people about our Lord. Um what do you think is going to happen in, in season eight? So for those of you who don't know, this is the last season. It's outpaced the books. So the books that this is based off of, it was left, what, like two seasons ago. And so now we are in George R. R. Martin told them the ending in case he died beforehand. Uh, but now the, the, the great story, if you don't know, follow Game of Thrones, this is, this is, we'll just be quick about it. But Luke, what do you think is going to happen? Um, 
I think you're going to see the destruction of all houses. So all of the big families, they're all going to lose all, so all of the noble families. They're going to lose all of their power. I don't think you're going to see the beginning of a democracy. I do think civilization is going to start over again. Uh, and who that leader is, I don't know. I really don't know. But I think there's going to be some sort of a reset. Who do you Mostly want to win? The Princess uh, Daenerys, Queen Daenerys, or uh, Jon Snow? Jon Snow. Jon Snow. You want John? Why? Yeah. Because uh, I love Jon Snow. I just love him so much. I He's loved so her. Brooding. I loved her in season one and two. And then I think my I, my love for her started waning when she stopped being that pitiable creature and became like, or I guess season one, two, and three, and then became the badass. And then it's like, all right, well, who's the other underdog? Well, you always got the you always got the dwarf, right? You always got the you know you always got the underdog, and you know George R. R. Martin loves the underdogs, right? That's his whole thing. Like, what was it? Dwarves, bastards, and cripples, on bastards, and broken things. Yeah, and so like you really want to like Jon Snow because he's a bastard. He's you know always getting <laughs> always getting the short end of every stick, and yet he emerges alive. Every single time. So, or he emerges from the, from the, from the plague that's always surrounding him. So you do want, and, and plus he's really handsome. Easy on the eyes, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so think, emotional. I think what's going to happen is John Snow is going to marry Daenerys and they're going to reign as king and queen. And then, uh, but then it's not done. And he has to kill the night king by firing, uh, tempering his sword by stabbing her through the heart and then killing the night king. Yeah, yeah, that could definitely happen. Show me the prince that was promised. <laughs> Show me the money. Mm. All right, uh, go around. I'm in my last full week of ministry right now as an employed uh, person of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. I know, man. You're getting out of the ministry lifestyle. That's weird. Here we go. I'm getting out of the game. Out of the game. And out you'll be doing fundraising for an apostolate. <laughs> out of the game, <laughs> folks. That's what we call out of the game. <laughs> out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Such a stretch. It's it's weird. Anytime that you transition in a job, it's always a little bit of a bittersweet thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, totally. You know, I'm really going to... I had, like, my last big meeting with my half of the department and it was you know, I'll, I'll be honest towards the end i got kind of emotional yeah yeah I, I couldn't look at some people in the face while i was uh, while i was talking so because you've this stolen was... from them over the years oh yes <laughs> so much time money resources post emotional notes. energy <laughs> <laughs> where did all my post-it notes take that karen ah! <laughs> run <laughs> yeah um it's weird you know starting to take the books home from the old office oh that's the hard um, part that's the hard trying, part trying to remember w which books i bought from with work and were just mine that i brought in oh yeah totally i have done so, that more than once i'm like hey i left with a box of about 30 textbooks do you want those i'll just keep it. <laughs> like listen this isn't gonna make a lot of sense it's just a lot of balthasar and ratzinger <laughs> it's all it's all clicks and buzzes brother <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm needy yeah it's just you know it's um so i wanted to share a story with, with you this I, I think i may have brought told this on the podcast before but i just want to it's kind of weird i want to talk about like i want to just give truth to like the lord's prophecy Ooh. um 
So in the summer of 2014, I was in a really weird spot. I didn't know what I was going to be doing with my life. I thought I'd really screwed up. Not screwed up, just like my career and stuff. So and I was just praying a lot, and people kept bringing up I should go into ministry. So I finally kind of like gave in, mostly because I had to. So I was working, I was helping out at a parish over the summer, and we were at Steubenville of the, of the Rockies, and Ben and our uh, and uh, our friend Ben Walther was uh, I'm leading worship. Actually, it was just really cool and powerful. Like see but, but, uh, to see Ben there and a few of our other um, friends and stuff. And I just like while I was there, like the teens that I was with were like, "Man, you're really good at this." And I was like, "What?" Like just as like whole like a youth ministry thing. And I was like, "Okay." And I remember I was there, and Steve Argasano started playing like. Anger was the MC. Anger yeah. yeah. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Big Steve, go on. Yeah, so uh, Stevie S, as I like to call him in this house, uh, he was the MC. He starts, playing, he starts playing guitar, and he plays a lot of, like, these old praise and worship songs from, like, our time. And I was like, ooh, these did not age, age well. And I just had this gut intuition that God was like, this is what I want you to be doing. And I was like, just out of nowhere, I was like, wait, what? And he's like, and I was like, do you mean like youth ministry? And I, could, I just could kind of tell that that guy was like, no, no, like this, like I want you involved in like ministry on like this kind of a scale. And I was very, like, confused, uh, as in like, just what the hell do you mean? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, what do you? What is? Like, I don't want to be a speaker. I have no desire to do this. I don't know. I'm not involved in this this is gomer's thing i don't want to be that and i and i and like when i prayed with and like not that not in a bad way i just like i like no desire to and uh and the more and i was and i the more i prayed with it this is like while the conference is like happening and i'm like praying with god about this i was pretty much struck by this sense of it might not like look like this but it's going to be a thing kind of like this and I was like, I don't understand what you mean, but okay, whatever. And then not really as a response to that per se, but like, you know, probably about four or five months later, we started this pot, this podcast and I prayed a, on a I believe either St. Jude or St. Joseph. And the day after that, my, I was asked by my, by, by my friend Josh to apply for a job in ministry here at the archdiocese. Yeah. And it's just kind of crazy to see like that, like the Lord's call come true. You know, I don't know if he was calling me to directly start catching foxes, but I think he was, I think that's what in a weird way kind of gave me the courage to do it when we started to, to talk about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's really weird to like, look, cause I, you know, like I get very, I'm a very introspective person. I mean, clearly to a fault and uh, do it causes profound damage for those in my life. Um, <laughs> And uh, I've I've just been I'm thinking about that like you know it's been you know over four years now that I've been employed as a full time minister, and just just see how like, the Lord in a weird way I guess keeps his promises. It's not it's not like it was it was a thing that was really promised to me per per se, but I think back to like that moment, I never would have envisioned that it meant this. Yeah, wow. You know, like the things I've done in ministry. And the things that have happened with this podcast, which are like one and the same. If we're being honest, they are clearly one and the same. Yeah. Like if you go back through our episodes, you can hear me work through a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, I've had teens. Uh, I've had like uh, teens that like 
that uh, my first two years at this program called Apostolo. I had teens who went through that who are now in college and they are fans of the podcast. Hi, Hannah. Uh, say I could like when I like when I finally started to like um listen in school, I could hear I like I, I like could hear you going through all that stuff when we were like involved in Apostolo. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so it's just, I guess I'm just, I, I bring that up, just kind of be like, you know, um, it's sometimes going to be a little bit hard to be like, where was God? Because we get so overwhelmed by, you know, Uncle Ted and uh, just like the world and, hor- and horrible things going on. And there's something like, a, like you know, 150 plus Christians are being killed out in, uh, I think it's like Nicaragua or it's Nigeria or, or something like that, like. Um, horrible, horrible stuff, and it and it it's easy to forget like God moves, and I just yeah. kind of wanted to just like share a, a brief bit of my story where like God moved in my life in ways I did not expect. Huh. It was really weird, man, because I felt I I don't think I told anyone about this because I because I, I just didn't know how to be like, hey, so I was praying at this thing, and God kind of put on my heart to like that I need to go in the ministry in like a big way. And I don't think He meant being a speaker, but I think it's kind of a thing. Like that, but I don't know like what that is, so it's kind of weird. That is a true story. It happened in July of 2014. In July. July. Are you telling the truth or did you lie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. You know, when it came for me and discerning like where I was supposed to go, I remember someone once said, People discern youth ministry without discerning parish-based youth ministry, and there's a huge freaking difference. Like there's a there's a difference between joining a, a something like Life Teen Corporate versus being a Life Teen Youth Minister at a parish, you know. And a, there's a difference between joining a parish that has an active program and one that you have to start and one that's dying and you got to revive. There, there's all these elements within it that we can never we can never fully know. And I remember uh, I think it was Annie Lamont Anne Lamont. She's a writer and she's Catholic. Uh, but she's not a Catholic writer. She didn't really write about Catholic topics. But she was talking about, I think it was this one. She was wrestling over, like, what she needs to write about, what she needs to do. She goes to talk to her parish priest, and he said, life is like driving on a country road. There are no there are no street lights that illumine the whole way, like driving on a road at night. There are no lights that illumine the whole way, but you have a really good pair of headlights, and that's what faith is. And faith is like, it shows you the next 20 feet in front of you. And the idea that God does this so that we learn how to trust, not so that we can have it all figured out and never make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I I always think about that with Dr. Peter Crave when I was struggling with my vocation as to whether or not to be a priest or whether or not to break up with Shannon for the 17th time. uh, He had this line where he said, if God wanted you to know in a clear and infallible way, he would have revealed it to you that way. So there's a reason behind like the way God tells you stuff. And I never appreciated that until, until you look back in the rear view and you're like, you start to see, Oh, I see how these events connected. I, n- I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's really weird. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how else to just, like say, but just like, um, I never thought this was going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I can even remember when I was um, working out in education in Idaho, and uh, I think I brought this up before, like the kids wanted to bring Matt Fratt in as the 
commencement speaker. And I was like, nah, I don't know who he is. And I was like, I know a lot of these people. And I feel like I, and if I don't I know them, I don't. I, I, I just, nah, nah. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I just, um, I remember having this thought of, wow, I'm so far removed from all of that. Um, this was a big part of my high school life, obviously, as being a teen who went to that stuff. It was a big part of my college life because we were all at Steubenville. Um, you know, when I was at an um, Texas being, you know, just kind of, I would stop by your guys's like, uh, easy group nights. It would help out here and there. You know, I, um, I was on Brian's core team out in, out in um, Virginia while I was there, like all these different things, you know, that I was like, and I just remember having this thought of like, wow, I'm so far you know, I like worked at uh, at Port Track and Records, and like you know, I'm right. Just be Bob Olsnesky was our, our like main artist, and um, I remember being so hit by like how like far removed I was now from all of that stuff, and that's why I was so like struck by that. In that, uh, when I was like at this conference, I was like, wait, no, I, I don't want to like what, what, why, how, like that's weird, you know, and. uh you know, and like just so everyone knows, like the podcast is going to absolutely keep going. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Uh, it's just I have I have a different job, so here we are, and just yeah, the Lord works. <laughs> the, it's crazy. The, the Lord, Lord works. works. Would you say that uh, one of the big things of you processing this has been how much like Letio Divina type prayer you do? Oh yeah, yeah. Because yes. I, I think my conversations with you, one of the things that always pissed me off about church work was how little we pray. I thought you were going to say me. <laughs> one of the things that pisses <laughs> me, pisses me pisses off about me church off work about is you. that someone employed you. How could they have employed <laughs> you? Oh, oh, Mr. Carey was a principal at one point. Yeah. Okay. Now, the uh, <laughs> the idea that so much of church work is um, you just bookend everything to make it sound Jesus-y. You know, it's like, okay, we're going to start yeah, with prayer. Yeah. We're going to end with a glory be. We're going to start with an Our Father, whatever it might be. And, I, and I've done that countless times. But then it's like, but what are we, we're not centering it on prayer. We're just putting a thin, coaty, uh, thin candy coating on it, you know. And it's like, this is really mm. my work, uh, but I need to assuage my Catholic guilt. I need to at least pay God some lip service, what, whatever, wherever it might be coming from. I always get this feeling whenever I do that or I'm around that, that we're, that we're playing pretend with the word of God, you know, like mm. we're, we're playing mm-hmm. pretend here that this is really a Christian thing that it's really order. It's really just my ideas, you know? And whenever I do like a big project or something, like how many times do I just think, yeah, this is a great idea versus I think, I think God wants us to do this or, you know, like I've been praying about this for a long time. It is so easy to be like my ideas are god's ideas you know yeah there's a big um difference between just doing whatever you want to do and doing it in the context of like trying to pursue the face of the lord the two very different things um my buddy brad bursa who uh um I've talked about a bunch of on here, but he has this thing where he where he talks about how anytime that um, his ministry got away from trying to encountering Christ, it would just like go horribly. And isn't that really and, what you want, right? What do you mean? 
here's my problem, I think. Like, there were times where I was in my personal life, my moral life, my prayer life, when I was far from the Lord in a lot of ways, but my ministry was succeeding so I could lie to myself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, don't you, like, I want my ministry to fail as quickly as possible and me be like, oh, oh, no, <laughs> I'm doing it again. I'm I'm making it all about me. I'm doing it by my own power. I'm not cooperating with grace. I'm... You know, mm-hmm. just leading. I'm doing what Michael wants. I'm preaching the gospel of Michael Gormley instead of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. Well, and and when you like, I I guess this is the thing that like I learned the most in um in ministry, and this was uh directly from Brad is that not only should you be encountering the Lord in your own life, you should be encountering the Lord in the way you pursue your ministry. Yeah. And you should be trying to lead people in a way that they can encounter Jesus as well. Yeah. So there's just like three kind of parts to it where it's like your own, your, you know, and when we start all of our meetings with like, with, with Lexio, there's just a lot of power in that. Yeah. Um, it's something that I will certainly continue to do throughout the rest of my time that I work for a Catholic organization. Yeah. In some way or another. Cause it's just, there's just something like, it's like, What's what a great way to encounter God through scripture. Mind blown, right? Yeah. And he'll speak through that and he'll work through that. Like he'll like lead you to places that you don't think that you wouldn't be expecting to go. And I, I wonder what it'd be like in your new job with the Glen Mary missionaries, right? Is that what they're Glen Mary fathers? So it's actually Glen Mary home missioners. Okay. Glen Mary the, yeah. home missioners. I wonder what your job would look like doing development for them. So fundraising, major gifts, all that stuff. If you went out and did Letzio Divina with the big donors and stuff, like, I, I mean, you know, maybe yeah. not Letzio Divina, but like, I, I feel like so many people, like, okay, so talk about that, um, that idea of bookending, you know, meetings, church meetings with prayer or even like projects you're working on by yourself with prayer. Like instead of like really discerning and and really being driven to your knees with this stuff, um, you know, like you read these things, it's like we 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 are raising up, you know, saints for the future, and we want you to join us. And not everyone can do this work, so help us raise the next generation of saints by donating today. You know, it almost feels like a bookend. You know, <laughs> like. Like, hey, yeah, here's yeah, all yeah. this stuff, and it's Jesus-y, too. And you know what Jesus likes? You giving money to me. I wonder what it would be like. Like, what kind of culture would you create if you really, really prayed with the donors or whatever? And I'm not yeah. saying you can do that in all these contexts, but I, I just wonder these things. No, that's I, I think like one thing that really, like, why I was very intrigued by it. Like, so one reason why I took this job was everything that I wanted and I don't mean it's about it, but that like I, that would have to happen in order for me to leave the diocese, in order for me to like take a new job. Yeah, like happened. And one of those things that really struck me was the I could tell the way that this development team approach was they wanted to f- like they wanted to find ways to like love on the people who gave t- to them. You know, they wanted to find a way to like love them. Yeah, and I and I was like so intrigued by that. I was like, that's really cool that's kind of different than um and i I mean i don't think you're going to meet anyone who works in uh, who works like development for for the church who would say like well we don't try to do that 
But to have it be so explicit was what really appealed to me. So, yeah, I just want to say to everyone who I actually am, have, like, done ministry with, who listens, I love you all. Uh, this has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. Uh, I'm profoundly grateful for all of you. So I'll awesome. say that really quick. Yeah. Uh, so I just did this parish mission up in your up in your uh, neck of the woods. And yeah, you on, did. Did it know? <laughs> on Monday, I did a parish staff retreat for the three parishes. Not all of them could make it, but a bunch of them were there. And uh, I started off with my favorite quote of myself, which is, how many of you have a consistent daily prayer life? Uh, don't raise your hands. If you don't, will you do me a favor and quit your jobs? Bold. Like, if you, if you don't have a consistent prayer life, you need to quit because you're one bad day from being another headline in the, uh, in the church. And... I really do feel like uh, part of the problem is a lack of Christian prayer within it. Like one of the things I love about my church is we have like we have intercessory prayer teams. We get the little old ladies and men with the rosaries after mass and all that stuff. Like we have a lot of prayer ministries and prayer um, catechesis and all that stuff going on. But one of the things that uh, we do as a staff is most days we pray the Angelus, we pray for our clergy. Uh, we pray the peace prayer and try to live it out as staff members, you know. Um, but I feel like um, it, it's kind of like what you said. So I led them on this thing where I said, okay, you if you're only praying in the context of your ministry, like if you never go to adoration except when you bring teens to adoration, you're failing as a minister because you failed as a disciple, right? Like, if you don't have a consistent prayer life, so I broke it down into uh, personal, ministerial, and then community, always about community. So the first one was like, do you have consistency in your own private prayer life? What does that look like? How are you, how are you repenting? Mm -hmm. How are you thanking God? How are you carving out time for him? And then on top of that, it was, do you actually pray for the people you do ministry for? Like, and I can tell you an explicit time when I encourage my life team core members to start praying for their, for kids. And I had photocopied, um, there, we did like a yearbook and I just took the yearbook and I photocopied it and gave it to my core members and just said, pray for them every single day mm. and look at their name yeah. and look at their face and pray for them. And this was brilliant because, uh, they remembered their faces by the next time they saw them, which was, you know, a week later that, you know, you're looking at a name and yeah. you're looking at a face and they're praying for them by name. I, you know, I don't know what their needs are, Lord, but just bless them as they go through puberty, whatever it might be. And then the crazy <laughs> thing was, so when they knew their name and they saw their face, they could be like, oh, there's Aaron. And you walk over, let's talk with Aaron. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? What's going on in your life? Uh, how can I pray for you? And that, that, that became a natural thing to say. You imagine Catholics saying that. How can I pray for you? Not, mm -hmm. oh, my God, my yeah. life's out of control. Can you pray for me? But how can I pray for you? And then they would say things. And this is the most magical thing of all. Those core members would pray for those that need all week long and then would remember it because they're, you know, in, in, it took five minutes to pray for everyone. They would then come back the following week and go, hey, Aaron, I prayed for your math test. How did that go? And it's like, whoa, what? You remembered? Oh, it went well. Thank you. Or I failed. No, thank you. Where is your God? No, but <laughs> but like I tell people, like you start doing this. So uh, I, so after I did this for the for the church, this guy came up to me and he said, "It has been seven months since I prayed." 
And he's like, I, you know, oh, I go wow. to mass. I go to mass. I, I, I do all the group stuff. He said, but as an individual, he said, I used to do a holy hour when I worked in the secular world. I used to do a holy hour or like sneak over to pray at a church. I was like three blocks away. I used to do that all, all the time, almost every day. He said, and mm. then I started working for the church uh, two years ago. And he goes, and it's been seven months since I prayed. And he said, so today, I, as soon as your thing ended, I went home and I grabbed my, like a scripture devotional or something like that. He said, I began to pray again. And he said, I thank you for shaking me out of that. And I was like, okay, well, that, that's why we're here. That's amazing. Right? That's amazing. Right? Like, and, and it all dawned on me, this woman that I, I like love dearly, she said to me before she started working, she was asking me like, so I'm going to work for the Catholic church. I want you to tell me all this stuff. And I said, like, well, what's your prayer life like? She said, I do a daily holy half hour. I come and you know, she works as a secular job. She's a millennial. So she was in charge of their social media. And I told her, I said, listen, that's going to die if you don't fight for it. And she's like, what? I said, you're going to stop praying because you're going to feel like every time you pray, even when you're saying grace before meals, eating breakfast, you should clock in. She's like, no, I'm going to work two minutes, you know, a two minute walk, let alone, you know, 45 minute drive from work. And I said, trust mm -hmm. me. I talked to her about six months later. She said, I stopped going to adoration uh, the first week of my job. Mm. It's so easy. It's so easy. I think some of it has to do with you see how the sausage gets made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah. And, uh, it's like, well, hey, wow, you all are monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just get like in a weird way, you just kind of want a little. I remember like kind of hitting a point where uh, a couple of months ago, I just got bummed. I was like, I just feel like every time I pray, it's about work. Yeah. Or just is on my mind, you know, and like it's, 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 it's almost like at times, you know, how you, you're going to, confession and you're confessing the same thing over and over and over again yeah and you kind of just get tired of it you get tired of it being on your mind so you just kind of stop going to confession as much or you have a thought of like i would just love to go to confession for like one day where like i'm not confessing this you know and just like a bunch of other things yeah i don't know yeah you know and saint uh francis de sales an introduction to about life he says basically if you keep committing the same sin and you're confessing it all the time then stop and ask yourself, why this sin? Like, why this one? Why do I gossip? Or why do I lie? Why do I perjure myself? Why did I murder that family? Like, <laughs> just, you know, you do it often. You know, you got to ask yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. But because the idea is like habitual sin is usually tied to some stronghold of the devil in your life or some horrible thing that happened psychologically that you can't get over, emotionally that you haven't processed. And it's like, well, what is it? in my prayer life that is so boring it could be it could be the fact that god is drawing you into a desert period but usually we enter desert periods because we don't really give a shit morally mm -hmm. like mother uh, saint teresa of avila used to talk about that like the relationship between prayer and morality she said uh, uh, uh someone caught up in mortal sin cannot achieve contemplative prayer and I was like, that's really powerful because how can, if, if you keep falling into mm. porn and masturbation and all this stuff and you're, a, a, you know, you have an apostolate and you're trying to keep a consistent prayer life, something's got to give in this scenario. And if you keep, a, well, yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's just a great way to put that. Yeah. Cause I remember me and you having this conversation, like maybe a couple of years after college and you were like, I don't know about this old God thing. Or, you know, like we were having just like a crisis of faith beer conversation. 
as one does. And I was like, what, like, but like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, like we're not, <laughs> yeah. we're not really doing anything. We don't pray. We drink all the time. You know, we get caught up in porn or whatever it is. And then it's like, how come God hasn't revealed himself to me? You know, and you're like, what the frick are you doing? Like, I don't know. Oh, man. 25-year-old us. Man. Wonderful. Wow. wow. Wonderful. More drama Wonderful. than a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, out of the two, you'd be surprised at which one was crying on our friend's front lawn while everyone was praying over him while he wailed hey, in public. Do you do you ever find that sometimes you go too far with that? <laughs> No, wait, did I, wait, like, what do you mean, that joke? Yeah, like that part of my life that you oh, bring up. Oh, I'm very up, worried about it, yes. That you bring up all the time. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, I was just, I was just checking in that you still had somewhat of a conscience left. <laughs> now I feel bad. <laughs> I know, that was the whole point of why I said that. The thing is, I bring it up, and I, at times I go, I won't say anything if you don't, and you're like, no, it's fine, and then I do, and then you say that. <laughs> yeah, that was a really hard time in my life. <laughs> I know it was. I proposed to her <laughs> while slightly intoxicated in a swimming pool. Who could have thought it would go wrong? <laughs> she was trying to teach you how to dive. I had a movement on my heart. She was. She was just. She just wanted to teach me how to dive, and she did. Best story. She really did. Best story ever. I'm sitting out with my brother. Came down for a spring break. Brought four of his eight kids. They're all the young ones, right? So they're all swimming. And the youngest, Liam, doesn't know how to doesn't know how to dive. So he does that cute little kid thing where he leans over, bends over, puts his hands forward, and then just falls feet and hands first. You know, and it's so funny. And my mom was like, every little kid does that when they learn to dive. And I go, every little kid, Shannon taught my buddy Luke how to dive. And he did that like 30 times at the Huss house. (laughs) (laughs) Now, father David's a priest. You can dive. I'm married to Shannon. (laughs) Everything's fine. Um, I'm sorry. I won't make that joke anymore. And I watered their bushes with my tears. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just bring up like why I always do? Because it was the most dramatic thing I've ever done. I collapsed on the front yard sobbing hysterically. It's such a, because like, it's such a, like every Christian male who's like trying to practice their faith in their 20s has the story of like them or a friend doing that. (laughs) You know what I didn't do, Luke? Can I tell you what I didn't do? Mm -hmm. I didn't guard my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Not guard your heart, bro. Lightest. I couldn't. I couldn't guard it. <laughs> Put your eyes towards heaven first, Gormley. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God, man. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. At Glen Mary Home Missioners, <laughs> we are now accepting donations. <laughs> God has a plan for you. Like, you just got to trust in the Lord's plan for you. Hey, just like Adam was alone before he met Eve, so too does your heart have to be alone with God before he brings you your Eve. He is working on the perfect girl for you right now. And when she's ready and when you're you're ready, it's just going to happen. One day you will collect all of these token pieces of shit wisdom. You will put them in a bag and you will say, I'm still alone. Time to go drinking. And you'll do it. And you will never feel both worse or better. 
And you will call that Michael Gormley from age 21 to 26. <laughs> Luke, at some point in time, you're going to drink a little bit too much that you're going to go home into your car because this girl's not getting back to you. Start sobbing and eating out of a tub of ice cream. <laughs> oh! And you'll be like, this is it. This is the lowest I've ever been. And it'll be kind of the alcohol, not really so much the girl, and just a real love for ice cream after drinking. (laughs) Gather us in the dramatic and flamboyant. Gather us in the brokenhearted. Drink with me now (laughs) all of the liquor. Drink it down and write a blog post. I did that as well. <laughs> we all did. It was the, it was the aughts. <laughs> uh, we were soldiers uh, once and young. <laughs> we were so like, and so sincere. Yeah, as sincere as, as sincere as dashboard confessional. Hey everyone, Mike Gormley here. You may not know this if you're a new listener, but Luke and I consider our greatest, most important episode to be episode number eight, Authentically Honest About Pornography. And the reason being is that's where our show hit its stride in terms of our voice, the level of authenticity and truthiness and and especially vulnerability that we were going to let ourselves have on this, you know, international show. And to be honest, we've received the most amount of feedback positively from people about that show. And I want to say, while it is a good thing for people to talk about openly their struggles and their issues in order to let people know that they're not alone and that there is hope and healing, Strive 21 is something else altogether. Matt Frad partnered with Cardinal Studios, and they created this amazing program, a 21-day guide to help you break free from pornography. They're going to launch it in these batches four times a year. But the goal is right now to get as many men signed up as possible in these four times a year clumps so that people can journey through this process together. So many of us are using pornography. We're stuck in it. We're addicted to it. But hey, Maybe this year doesn't have to look like last year or the year before. Strive 21 is going to help you break free from porn and live the life you're called to live. I want to thank Matt Frad and Cardinal Studios and the fine folks at Strive 21 for sponsoring this show. Check them out in the link in the show notes. and Let them know you came from us. Singing, what was that song? This bitter bitter pill. pill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The greatest. Uh, that song, man. That song, I remember hearing that and going, well, this is it. This is all I ever want to hear ever. I have never heard a live unplugged version of a band where the songs that I loved, Dashboard Confessional, studio version, I hated the unplugged version. Do you remember his, like, unplugged or? Yeah. He would say, yeah. and this apartment is starving for an argument. And I was like, Mont? Mont and I would listen to that song. I'd be like, no, 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 I have to be hearing it wrong. Mont, I'm like, what? What is happening? And I hated it. Never listened to it again. That bothered me because that was when Dashboard ended in my eyes because he he brought a band with him. Like halfway through this band, like he's got a guy playing uh, drums and bass, and I was like, no, done with this. 
<laughs> and hasn't been the same since. Done with this crap. You used to be pure. You used to stand for something. No, I'm serious. Yeah, there was there was the whole the whole ethos behind dashboard is it's a sing along. That's the whole oh, that yeah. the whole point of it. Yeah. And when you changed that, it changed everything. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so I don't like hands down. Sorry, no, sorry, that is not. Well, I'm, I do like hands down. I don't like um, that album that has the tape on the front. I, have no I idea. don't like it. No idea. Okay. That's one that like blew up and he got big. And everything else, like it was, it's supposed to be just a huge like sing along with a bunch of very emotional people. <sighs> Whatever. Whatever, bro. Whatever, bro. Yeah, I still think that uh, the best album he's ever done is "The Moon Is Down." When he was in, when he did the Further Seems Forever album. Uh, you remember the band? I was really into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I was a, that. so. It turns out the only reason why he did the vocals on that album was because he had like a contract and he tried to like because like Dashboard was starting to kind of get big. Oh yeah, and so he wanted out and. Truth and Nail was like, dude, you have a contract. So they basically had his lawyers in, involved. And they're like, we're going to, like, if you don't, like, sing on this album, we're going to sue you. You try, like, so he did it as, like, a legal thing. And then, like, he left the band after that. Oh, wow. The yeah. more you know. Yeah, so it's not, like, as pure or as cool as, like, you think it was in, in your head. <laughs> when you're a kid, it's like, oh, this is, he's honest because of a bunch of lawyers. Oh, that's cool. My favorite, one of my favorite albums ever. Huh. Huh. That's fine. Yeah, and then when he got back together with them in 2012, they didn't play. I was in, they played all over the country, but not anywhere I'm near I was, and I really died inside. <laughs> I honest, this apartment is starving for an no, argument. <laughs> I honestly think if I saw him sing a song from his time, or like either like, so as Dashboard or like with the band, I would cry. And I'm like, I'm going to further seem, if he did any of the further songs i would legit probably break down crying because it means so much to me i just read this quote for, that was put out by uh the catholic gentleman and i think it summarizes our dramatic times <laughs> so well it's a quote from saint augustine you ready for this yeah bad times hard times this is what people keep saying but let us live well and times shall be good we are the times such as we are such are the times. Hmm. Isn't that a great quote? That's a wonderful quote. That is a money quote. Wow. I love that. Read that again. Bad times, hard times. This is what people keep saying. But let us live well and times shall be good. We are the times. Such as we are, such are the times. Huh. Huh. Interesting, because like you know, I I just view the early like two thousands and like the aughts as such like a dramatic time. Yeah, but you look at you, you're just you know you're in your twenties. That's just a dramatic time. Yeah, fun time, fun time, dramatic time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really huh? Because like you know you know what's really interesting is that like as much as sometimes like because like, like we like we can point toward a lot of like the horrible stuff. Um. But then there's so many great memories as well. Yeah. You know, so for like every um, memory we have of us, like being all upset over a girl or like our lives or like whatever, then there's like the memory of us at the party bar or going to get like Whataburger and then playing uh, and watching Battlestar and playing a rock band or in college going to Cross Creek or, you know, like my time, like when I think back to my time, like Eureka, 
it was really difficult. I felt very isolated and just was kind of a really crazy time. But now I look back on it with like, I don't, it's like, oh, there were so many good times as well. Yeah. You know, they're just, it's easy to, um, like some of my best times of my, in my twenties were at like Dave's place, you know, it's weird. Huh. Hmm. You want to do some 10 minute topics? Yeah. Why not? Oh. All right. We've got some on our, on our Patreon page. So, um, for those of you that do not know, if uh, you enjoy this podcast and would like to help us keep this going, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash CF and feel free to support us on there. And one thing we do is anyone who gives over $30 or more each month, we guarantee that we're going to answer one of your 10-minute topic questions when you submit one. We have, and we have a couple right now. So this is from our friend uh, Sean, who's out in Ireland. Uh, one, don't you hate pants? Yes. <laughs> Two, um, and this was, we had a lot of these on the Facebook page as well. The Pope's ring thing and him denying the the, uh, the faithful the potential for an indulgence. Apparently, and I have it on good authority, that there's an indulgence for kissing the fisherman's ring, which is a sexual thing. So you, <laughs> if you kiss the ring of Peter, like that of that of the Pope, you are entitled for an indulgence of some sort. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's your take on that? So you want to explain to everyone in 10 seconds or or less, like what what's the incident he's referring to? Okay, so there was this video that surfaced of all these people lining up to kiss Pope Francis's papal ring, and he kept very awkwardly pulling his hand out or pulling his hand away or people would kneel down or whatever. He'd pull his hand out. It was so bizarre. And then he'd put it right back and shake their hand or, or hold their hand, squeeze their hand, and then pull it out when they tried to kiss. It was weird. Apparently, he did this about three months ago or two months ago somewhere else. But there's video of him letting people kiss his ring other places. And this woman uh, who commented on J.D. Flynn you know, from Catholic News Agency, he made a comment like, okay, well, let's discuss this raw video footage we don't know the context or whatever and this woman said it's so weird i was just with the pope a month ago and everyone there kissed the ring so i am really really confused about the whole thing i haven't done any other reading other than watching that video but that video it was so weird and if like i i feel like i i don't know it's just it's just freaking me out everything pope francis does today i'm like hey i will mostly support you and now i'm backtracking a little bit okay i don't know you know what go for it man wait actually no never mind like for instance i'm watching the damn alpha video today and he says what i'm saying might be heretical but here it goes or something like that and i'm like what and so a guy literally said i was thinking about becoming catholic until i heard pope francis say he doesn't care that what he says is heretical and i was like i think that was meant tongue-in-cheek shit <laughs> like I know I, it's it's tough because when the thing that a lot of people don't understand about leadership is you you have to be strategic in how you present yourself um because like and it's it's not that you're trying to like manipulate people but you want to um uh, put your best foot forward almost 
in a sense. And I, yeah. I often kind of think he's a poor leader because he doesn't consider those things. And there's the thing that is refreshing about that at first. You could say the who am I to judge comment, you know, all these other little small things that he did. But then over time, it becomes very like, like weird, like back and forth, you know? So it's, it's kind of thing where if, so my guess is that, that the Pope doesn't want, he wants, he, yeah. he like, it, he might do it for his only humility. And I think, I think that that's fair. That's a valid thing. Now you also have the office in of itself where it's like, this is a sign. It's not necessarily for the man, but the respect for what this office is and what like, and for the, the, like what the Lord himself directly created in the gospels, you know? So if anything, it's a sign of respect for the Lord and his work as he clearly states. What, where he makes the papacy? You know, the gospel. I forget I mean, which Matthew, gospel it is. Matthew 16 is the that he says go-to you, verse, but there are others. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, so um, if the Pope doesn't want people doing that, there should definitely be people telling that group beforehand, and there shouldn't be cameras in the room. If there's a camera in the room, he's got you got to be. I, I, yeah. I, and I, this is me projecting a little yeah. bit. So there's a point where the fair. royal we gotta be makes sense it's either all because it's or not nothing. you. You know, or, you know what I mean? Like the royal we, like understanding, like they, like all papal documents until JP two, and even some with him. Yeah, they would say we, like we, the Roman Pontiff. You know. Re, and the royal we is meant to kind of embody all those that you're responsible for. You're representing with these words or the magisterium of the church with these words. And I think, like, a lot of people don't understand, a lot of modern people don't understand office. Like, in the military, they tell you, salute the office. Not You, you don't necessarily salute the person. Oh, you salute yeah. The office. You might be saluting the person because they live the office well and do what they should. But even at the end of the day, you always stand and salute the office, even if the person in it is a criminal, because the office matters. Without that office, the thing falls apart. St. Paul says he, the role of the apostle is a divine office. So we need to freaking respect the divine office. But today we don't understand. It. And I think the best glimpse of this, um, I, I want to say maybe Bishop Barron said something about this, but I heard a lot of people talking about this. Have you seen The Crown? Yeah, and so my, my wife watched uh, it all. She I've loved seen it. the first uh, few episodes. Really enjoyed it. But words in her mouth. Um, but there was a lot of people commented on the coldness of of when she became the queen and how she assumed the role and the office. Like you look at um the 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 princes, right? Like they're I, I don't follow the Royals. That's never been a thing I will ever freaking do. But when you hear about them, especially the younger brother who just got married to, to what's her name? Like it's all, there's some women out there that are so pissed off that I don't know anyone's names. My wife would be three of them, uh, but she's not a listener. Um, <laughs> but these like, they don't really have the same level of respect for that office, but with like her relationship with her husband, it's like, I come first as queen, like even in their relationship. And so this, we don't understand that. And so uh, I think Pope Francis, I've often said Pope Francis would leverage the entire papacy to convert one soul. And I think what you said shows the danger in that more like mm -hmm. you, you don't, it's not just you. There's 300 or 265 other 
Peters, right, successors of Peter, that you're standing in their place, and who knows how many will come after you, that you are a part of now. You're not just Michael Gormley. You're not just Bergoglio. You're Pope Francis. And there are things now that hem you in as a man because of the office. You're not allowed. I think the worst popes in the past history were the, you know, the, the guy that was killed by a husband who caught the Pope sleeping with his wife in their apartment in Rome, you know, like those guys submitted the office to their humanity or or to their, to their, Mm -hmm. to their individuality or whatever it is. But I think what Christ is like in having this office, you know, you got to kill the boy. Yeah. And and again, like I, I can understand not wanting to do that. Yeah, I'd be so creeped out as an American. I'd be so creeped out by the aristocracy. Yeah, and it's um, I, and with the and well, so the whole um indulgence piece, that's interesting as well because I don't know if that's true or not. Let's assume that it is, uh, for the sake of argument. Just because it's an indulgent doesn't necessarily mean you have a right to it. Yeah. So hear me out. Um. If so, if you pray at the port in Steubenville, it's part of an indulgence you can receive. Uh, the Portiuncula being the the Franciscan pilgrimage place, the replica of the chapel St. Francis built, so it has an indulgence attached. Yeah. So if there's a bunch of students in there and there's no room for you and you're on a bus and you want it to stop by, you don't have a right to like kick those students out, in my yeah. opinion. Like you're just stopping by, you know, and so it's kind of, or if the school's going up to use it for something else or if, you know, whatever. I mean, you can't like, you can't rent out the port. So, but I'm just saying, I don't think you have a right to, um, you know, that's just like the best example that I can think of. If if the Pope has a cold or is like, can't get sick (laughs) for, you know. He probably shouldn't. So, like, he could have some sort of like thing where he legitimately can't get sick. Yeah. At that point in time, and so his so his um doctors were like, okay, no one can kiss your hand. That like that's a valid and like I don't think you're denying people an indulgence. I don't think you're doing a bad thing by saying they can't um do that because if he's if he's got a cold or something where he can't get really sick or because he'll get like really sick, like that's not how it works. That's just like common respect. Yeah. You know, so um, now then I, I would also probably I, that group should have known beforehand to not do this. And if they disrespected yeah. that or if they chose to do otherwise, that's I have a problem with that. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm sure there's people who are cringing right now because by the time this episode comes out, maybe we know everything in the context. But uh. yeah. this is Wednesday night, by the way, so. Yeah, so I, I just think it's, there's probably a little bit more to it than what we know, but at the same time, there, I I wouldn't be surprised if this was somewhat poorly mismanaged by his papacy, as has been the norm. It feels almost. Um, how's Lent going for you, for you guys? Any crazy insights or good stories? Well, I was trying to um, give up the search bar on Instagram, and I was trying to show stuff to gomer that i found on the search bar on instagram and i went i should stop i gave this up for lent (laughs) my favorite part of that was like i realized like i must be so boring that luke is like well time to just aimlessly scroll through social media (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) 
I know, which is why I'm trying to stop and do that. But I know that's not true at all. We were not boring. You're so sensitive. I am sensitive. Um, I have found a lot of fruit this Len in um, denying myself in some pretty profound ways. So one thing I'll do is when I'm, I will not uh, skip songs while I'm in the car. And I'll try to like really just like enter into the song, if that yeah. makes sense. Like I'll just try to enjoy the song. Um, hear things that I didn't hear before, maybe different like like drum parts or guitar parts, or just things that I think are cool, like sound really pretty or different like motifs. Um, and then I'm trying to fast more on Fridays, and it's been really really cool. And I just think that uh, I've just seen the like it's um, the power of dying to self. It just has made itself very apparent in my life during this during this Lent, and just I've kind of tried to go all in. Um, in, a, in ways that I haven't really before. And that's kind of been just trying to find a lot of different ways to die to myself. So it's been um, just, just seeing the power of that has been very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this Lent, uh, uh, to me, my most earth shaking Lent was where I woke up at 530. I talk about that all the time. It sounds so stupid, but it changed my life because I, I don't always wake up at 5.30, but I now wake up earlier than I otherwise ever have. And it is, even when I'm hanging out with Luke to 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm waking up and making coffee and, you know, doing whatever. It just it just changed everything that now I'm up earlier. It's hardwired into me to be up earlier, which allows me to pray. And I love that. I love that. Mm. Uh, could you talk about Gomer's talk on... Laudatio C. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no. Laudato, laudato C. So, um, laudato C. Oh, so yeah. I mean, it's just the name of encyclical. It's fine. Um, part of laudato C. So, I mean, it, it's it's no surprise that well, it might be a surprise, but I think I've mentioned it plenty of times before that I believe in global climate change. And I remember I used to be a big denier. I straight up was. I used to get in arguments with people about it. Uh, like me, I, I, after our uh, after my one um, a professor explained it to me, and then you were like, that's dumb, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> that's dumb. See, this is the difference, though, when you're informed by science versus being informed by, like, talk show hosts. Like, even though the talk show hosts will use science, scientists and quote scientists it's like it's so cherry picking versus when you just sit down with someone who has been there, seen that, done that. Okay, so whatever. I, I don't I don't care if you deny climate change. I really don't care. Because what I wanted to do was talk with the people who are Catholic, who are involved in climate issues, who tend to be on the left of the church. I think we could agree on that, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, people on the left tend to focus a lot on climate change and all that stuff. And people on the right tend to deny it, especially insofar as it's yoked to invasive government policies and all this stuff. So what led me up to doing this was a parishioner, several parishioners sent me um, this quote or this video from like America Needs Fatima or something like Fatima Voice or what, I can't remember. But it was... A woman who apparently is well involved in human trafficking, uh, you know, abolition and stuff. She gave a talk called The UN, George Soros, and Pope Francis, an unholy trinity of climate change or something like that. 
And I watched it in double speed because I have good parishioners who asked me to, and they're really nervous about Pope Francis. And I get it. So I watch this, and she is ripping him apart, saying he is hanging out with these godless people who want to force abortion and sterilization on people as a means of tampering down climate change. And she identifies, oh, look at this person the Pope had. Well, look at this video. I'm clearly a part of George Soros' organization. This person, this person. So they go through this whole thing, and she makes this damning case. So a parishioner asked if I could go out to lunch and talk about it. So I go out to lunch, and I come with all these printouts from Laudato Si where he condemns the use of abortion, sterilization, you know, all of that stuff. And this woman never did one quote that would agree with, that she would overlappingly agree with this. And this guy, you know, and, and we're talking, this guy's super open. He's one of those guys, he's like a hardcore conservative, like, I mean, really, like I used to be. But he, this is the best part, he doesn't close himself off at all. There's a couple guys that are like that. They're like super Republican, but they will, they, oh, they're, oh, they're like, hey, yeah, you disagree with Republican, the Republican platform? Come talk to me. Tell me why I should. I have no problem changing my mind on this. So I love that about these guys. But when we were talking about it, it, it really bothered me that you start to see these Catholic people where, and we all do this to win an argument, you hide the parts that might, that your audience might find favorable in your opponent. And I felt like she was totally doing that. And I said, listen, he, he just got George Soros's pro-abortion people to come to the Vatican where numerous times he declared that he, that you know the catholic church will not be will never rally behind a pro abortion agenda and uh, you know sterilization that can't even be mentioned so they're celebrating laudato si which has all of these things in it so that being said paragraph 106 and following of laudato si about 114 i think is incredibly powerful if you love the theology of the body and what do I mean by if you love the theology of the body? If you've read the introduction by Michael Waldstein and you've read through it and you understand what the Pope is doing in response to Descartes and Francis Bacon, Pope Francis does it in regards to nature. But he, the reason why I think some conservatives hate it is because he's targeting corporations who have done the most pollution, individual human beings, recycling as individuals. You're not going to do a damn dent compared to corporate overhauls and all this stuff. And, uh, so Pope Francis takes pot shots at corporations all the time, but I, I've talked too long about this, but I'm sorry. No, uh, but no, but no, the idea, good. the idea is Destiny. in the, in the Renaissance and in the reformation or in the um, enlightenment in particular, we change the way we view the world and the universe and mankind's place within it. It used to be we were a part of nature. We were a rational animal because we were created by our creator. So we belong to this thing called creation. That, that is a biblical view, that there's this thing called nature that was designed by God, and individual things have individual natures, okay? And it's important because the harmonization of the human person with the world around him was a part of this biblical worldview, a Thomistic worldview. Understand the form of a thing. Understand the telos or the end towards which it's going means you're understanding its nature. It means you're growing in understanding. Modern man doesn't give a shit about that. All modern man wants to do is see what is it made out of and how can I have power over it? 
and that's what we do. And that's given us wonderful gifts like medicine, right? Like vaccines and even that was just a political statement. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, uh, what else? Like uh, the antibacterial stuff, all of that, all of this stuff. Like, you can, we've done great goods with the technology that comes from it. But what ends up happening is C.S. Lewis, brilliant comment, abolition of man. It, uh, the modern project is man's domination over nature. That's what Francis Bacon said. But in reality, it's man's domination over other men using nature as the weapon. And Anglican C.S. Lewis writing Abolition of Man, I think after the 1930s, somewhere around the 30s to 60s, he said contraception is one of those ways. And so I'm in the I, I'm giving my talk and I say like nuclear weapons, harnessing the power of nature and breaking it so that, you know, you know, doing whatever so that you can have power over other people. And I said, I mentioned nuclear weapons as an explicit form and contraception as an implicit form. And some people in the audience literally like guffawed at me. They were like, <laughs> and then, but I just kept going. And because I know like, and here's my whole thing. The catechism in paragraph 280 says that the cat, uh, that the uh, creation of the world is the foundation of God's salvific work culminates in Christ Jesus. So you say if, you know, this doesn't just mean like the environment, but the, the idea of the environment, that's a bullshit enlightenment thing. Like the environment means, Oh, the, the earth generally, when we think of the earth or the environment, we think of, all the animals and all the bugs and all the plants and all the rivers minus man. Ecosystem. Yeah, minus man. So the world is all of that plus humanity and the cities and all that stuff. But the earth is everything. So we used to have a biblical worldview where we were a part of, hum of, of nature. We were an existing mm, thing. That, that's a really interesting distinction. Right, right. So the. And, I, and I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah, and so, thank God. Uh, so then you have, right, but <laughs> once you, so then what, what happened? Well, step one, Francis Bacon, we got to put nature on the rack and force her to give up her secrets. Ugh. He essentially used the, the, the language of raping a woman as forcing nature to give up her secrets and show us her most hidden truths. It, it was kind of weird. Some people challenge the authenticity of that, but I digress. But it was really Rene Descartes, who the, both of these men were believers. Both of these men were Catholic, I think. Um, but Frank, uh, Rene Descartes, his whole thing was, no, the universe is just a mechanism. All that really matters is hu the what we would call today the conscious self, right? The mind. Mm-hmm. Right, the soul, the spirit—you can religious, you, you, but that—that's all that matters. Pope John Paul was fighting that with the theology of the body. He was saying that the body discloses the soul, that the body matters. The redemption of the body is what Jesus Christ accomplished, and what Saint Paul longed for in Romans eight twenty three. Like this is a huge thing. The body—it has dignity because it's a part of nature. And remember, uh, I was talking to you about um, oh, what's the guy that we like? He wrote letters from Lake Cuomo. Um, I was going to send that to you. Oh. Romano Guardini, Letters from Lake Cuomo. He makes this statement. Mm. He says, mm -hmm. he, he, so he's been coming to the same lake for vacations. He was like a little boy. And when he was a little boy, all before the Industrial Revolution, he says, uh, there was a lake and there was a boat and you paddled it. And even the paddle removed you from the water. Right? It was a, a separation of man versus nature, right? You, in, you insert an artifact called the boat, which kind of protected you from being in the water. 
So you're, there's kind of this level of abstraction. So like you're, you're like a little bit removed, but then you add a sail, right? And so now you got a sailboat. So it's not just a paddle and a boat. Now you got a sailboat, but even with that technology, that artifice, it's still man and nature kind of symbiotically working together. And he would talk about the buildings that were built, all these Italian towns around Lake Cuomo, they were built with the landscape, you know, these beautiful houses that would run down the mountain and uh, that would angle along the line of the horizon and like all the, he has all this beautiful stuff that I can't. And he said, and then the industrial revolution rolls through this town. And now with the power of machines, we just knock down half the forest. We rip apart a third of the mountain and lay down a new road that's straight, you know, like we do all these things. And then we add a motor to the boat and you know what a motor to a boat does? It doesn't depend on man's strength, the paddle, nor does it depend on the wind with the sail, but now it's entirely dominating the natural world around it. It's noisy, it's loud, and it cuts through the water. And his whole thing was, and then the buildings go up, these skyscraper resorts and, or what, you know, whatever's there. You just start thinking about like, yeah, because of this technological power, we don't have to cooperate with nature. We just can assert our will against nature. Mm-hmm. And so that creates shit like pollution. Yeah. It's really the subjection of nature. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's really like, uh, uh, I don't know if they do it in the movie, but in the book, Jurassic Park, like Ian Malcolm compares it to rape. Yeah. The rape of the natural I, world. Natural world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really like, it's that's, that's a powerful. And I mean, it's like, that's like a very disturbing and, very like violent analogy that I like. I think he's right. I think it like, like you're saying, like it's just we've kind of destroyed it. Yeah, but in a way that um, but I I, I in, a, in a way that's like that is a lot more like like I think. Sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to like reaffirm what all you just said. So so here's a quote from Pope Francis: "The basic problem goes even deeper. It is the way that humanity has taken up technology." And its development, and he puts in italics, according to an undifferentiated and one-dimensional paradigm. This paradigm exalts the concept of a subject who, using logical and rational procedures, progressively approaches and gains control over an external object. So just what you're saying, the subjection. This subject makes every effort to establish the scientific and experimental method, which in itself is already a technique of possession, mastery, and transformation. It is as if the subject were to find itself in the presence of something formless, completely open to manipulation. Men and women have constantly intervened in nature, but for a long time, this meant being in tune with and respecting the possibilities offered by the things themselves. It was a matter of receiving what nature itself allowed. Now, by contrast, we are the ones who lay our hands on things, attempting to extract everything possible from them while frequently ignoring or forgetting the reality in front of us. Right? And so... That's the, he has one more quote. Human beings and material objects no longer extend a friendly hand to one another. The relationship has become confrontational. And so when you start to, right, so just think about that. So what I said, this this shocked me. And I, I don't know if I said this last week, but I said, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Pope John Paul's theology of the body. You ever heard that phrase? And less than half the people raise their hand. Now, these are people some of whom are nuns, right, who have been nuns for decades. These are people who are the, the you know, avant-garde of the Catholic Ecological Awakening, 
right? And the people who raised their hands were the young people in the room. And it shocked me that there were so few, number one. But number two, that none of these people who are lifelong Catholics have ever heard of the theology of the body. And so they don't see that Pope Francis is, in his entire Bergoglio Francis way, fighting a similar fight. When you deny natures, you deny the validity of the body. You deny the sacredness of sex. You deny the first society of the family. You deny the right of parents to be parents. You deny religion. You deny, like, all of these things are consequences of a mechanistic view of the world or what, so Pope John Paul calls it uh, a mechanistic view of the world, but Pope Francis is calling it the technocratic paradigm. And it's re- it really is powerful. And it, it makes me so sad that people can't see the good in Laudato Si because they're just anti-global warming. Mm, yeah. So that was, that, was, that was my approach. My approach was to say, listen, in the end, when we dominate, 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 and we extract every ounce of commoditized value out of nature, and we don't treat it like stewards that have been given a gift from God, we're going to turn around, and you know who's going to suffer first when the waters start rising and land starts burning out and droughts start happening? The poor always suffer first. So yeah, climate change is a moral problem. Because the poor are always the first ones to suffer. Like when Harvey came, there was a lot of frustrated suburbanites who had to deal with gutting out their homes and all this stuff. But this is what I noticed. They had tools. They had garbage cans. They had trash pickup. Uh, They, you know, called their local trash company and uh, found out when they could take certain types of garbage and when they could put it out on the curb and all this stuff. There were people that had to deal with drywallers, you know, taking, you know, months to do stuff and damage electronics and uprooted mm-hmm. floorboards. But people ask me all the time, how is the Woodlands doing after Harvey? How is this happening after Harvey? Now, there are some people who have bad experiences, but for the most part, the suburbans are he- the suburban areas, they're good. And yet you hear Jonathan Alexander tell me that like four months after Harvey, he's going into homes with black spore mold running up the walls. These poor, they don't even, they don't own tools to take it out. You know, these Mm. things. And so this is what like climate change doesn't just mean the world is getting warmer and that's it. So if ever there's a winter, oh, I guess it's a global warming. No, it means that the whole climate is going wackadoo. And so the idea is like the poor are going to suffer. Like you imagine sleeping on a wet mattress two months after Harvey. You're going to get sick. The yeah. people who can afford the least yeah. to get sick are getting sick the most. Uh, so this is, yeah, horrible. well, it's not horrible because I really do think that the Roman Catholic, especially, I'm going to say it, Luke, the Thomistic tradition, <laughs> right? Because I don't think von Balthasar was hostile to Thomas. He hated sawdust Thomism. <laughs> are we getting into because, this now? No, no, no. I'm not getting <laughs> into this. How did you get from that to No, no, no. This? I'm not getting. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> the, the, like, we keep trying to run away from Thomas in a lot of these circles. Like, people just roll their eyes. I think this is right in line with all of that stuff. Like, when you deny natures, the nature of the sexual act, the nature of the human body, the nature of the family, you deny nature. You attack nature. And so that's my, that was my whole approach. And I did all of that just so I could talk, I mean, literally, just so I could preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the whole point to that crowd. 
It's not that I don't think they don't believe in Jesus, but I know some of them don't, but they really do have a pagan view of environmentalism. And I wanted to remove them of that as the first words out of my mouth. If we are going to follow Pope Francis, you have to abandon the neo-pagan roots of modern environmentalism. And you have to see the world as human or from a biblical perspective of humans as a part of nature. The moment you abstract us from it, call humans a cancer on mother nature, whatever you say, that that's when you failed what the scriptures are trying to impart to us. There's no cake. There's no ice cream. There is only oil. Just kidding. <laughs> oil is what got me through college. Thank you, Shell. <laughs> mm. I'm sure that was a very good talk. <laughs> well, the the talk was, I think, two minutes shorter than my summary of it just now. <laughs> I haven't been paying attention in the slightest. Neither have I. I'm drunk. I'm drunk with words. No, I had a few thoughts, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> Inter- all right, interrupt me, beloved. Interrupt me. <laughs> well, no, I just, I just want to add one thing. I think it's really interesting how... Um, uh, the subjection of nature is so different than Jesus. But I think they're both trying to solve the same issue, which is like the brokenness of man. And when, like I, I um, and, and this is very simplistic and I'm aware of that, but I think it's kind of easy to see with people like, um, uh, like John Dewey, like Francis Bacon, uh, and Descartes, this idea of that now we've like removed God. That's a, I'm sorry, I don't think Descartes falls into this, but like now that we have, you know, gotten rid of God, how do we solve the problem of man? How do we solve our brokenness? And I think they saw the answer as through like man's ability to like techne tools, the ability to like conquer and make things happen. Yeah, and where like if you look and if you look at what so it's really like you still have like the saviors but like there's still like a broken world that really needs to be fixed you still need to like have a you know have a savior i think a lot of the enlightenment guys and everyone up until like right now they view it as like we can conquer and solve anything yeah you know well i actually i sorry right now i think the hope i don't i don't get too deep in this but i think like right now the hope is isn't in us anymore. I think that ends with the, the second world war. It's more in these things we can strive for. So it's why like, so if, if you go, if you go downtown here and here and I'm like, she's really like huge billboards that say in oh, science, there's hope. Yeah. So it's not so much in the power of man and his ability to do things, but in the things that man strives for, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's even right, but in like um, things like science, yeah, or things like technology, pro, uh, progress, yeah. things like that. Um, and there's, and with like Jesus, there's a lot of like healing and restoration, especially on the restoration part or in, or in terms of like um, reconciliation, it's probably a better word, who we were made to be, who we like, you know, being profoundly what and who we are. And right now it's more about just trying to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And just you know, try to make things not necessarily heal things, but and, and that that can be a part of it. But just trying to like you know, I um, don't like who I am, so I'm gonna carve myself up until I can become a thing that I like. Sometimes quite like quite literally, other times in a way of just this constant need for like someone to reinvent myself. Yeah. Well, I would say your insight 
pisses me off because you haven't done any of the reading and research yet you still intuit your way to sheer brilliance <laughs> to sheer brilliance luke because francis bacon believed that we could and you like going right to your like view of salvation and all this stuff he believed that science would eventually cure death yeah i've, I've read a bit of bacon not a ton but like just enough to be able to like understand and see the common thread yeah i mean it it's so uh and, and there are people who i mean they literally believe science will cure not just arrest aging but reverse it to the point where we will be deathless yeah or you know like what is it that alphabet's trying to work on on that i think that they're still called alphabet right what was google corporate now is yeah alphabet. yeah yeah there's there's a guy there I've, i haven't heard i mean this i haven't heard of this in a while who was this whole thing now is about trying to like create a pill that can extend um life you know to like 200 plus years or, or something yeah. like that so yeah it's called Viagra, um, and it doesn't extend life, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> if anything, if it's over four hours, you got to go to the doctor. Very annoying. <laughs> um, Can you imagine you being in like... the waiting room with a four-hour erection? And it's like, <laughs> listen, uh, I've been waiting in this waiting room for six hours now, and it's still here, and everyone's laughing. Can I please go see That's... the doctor? <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I never thought that these junior high tricks would come back in hand, but uh, would be handy again. But uh, here we here are. It's a good thing I still have this five-star um, notebook on me to just kind of hold down right here as I walk through this hall. <laughs> can I please get a wheelchair? Can I please get a wheelchair? <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. Literally, it's like, it's just, that's called being, you know, 14. Um, are you good for a couple That's more questions? Called P14. I just realized what you were saying. Having a perpetual <laughs> erection is called P14. Oh, Luke, you are so brilliant. You intuit everything. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Are you good or are you kind of like tapped out? If so, it's fine. Uh, I'm pretty tired. I'm pretty tired. But what 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 do you got? What do you got on these ten minute topics? We're not going to call this ten minute topics. I... We're going to call this. A lot of topics. <laughs> a lot of top. No, it's fine. I mean, everyone knows what we mean. So uh, this uh, comes from our friend Annie. Just let's just do a quick, like, rapid fire okay. one. Uh, what would you be doing if you weren't in ministry? <sighs> I, I don't. I don't know. I know that that that's actually. I think you would probably be like a salesman. Shit. Not like uh, like if you had never gone yeah. into ministry. Yeah. Uh, I could see you do something where you're having just to talk a lot. Like, I mean, I like being a presenter. That's a thing I like to do. Yeah. Uh, I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. What I'm about to do is just go into development. Uh, or, like, just work for a school. Uh, where would you want to do a sabbatical, and what would you want to study? Oh, oh. Uh, I, I would want to study... Uh, moral theology in Rome, probably at the Angelicum. Um, I think I, I don't know where I would do this, but I would want to study the anima technica vac, vacua and where the point of encounter is in that. Like, is Balthasar right where he says, like, where's is the is, is can you is there a point of um contact in here? I don't know. So he's, he's, he's not saying that there isn't, and you know, he may have already answered this, or there could be books that have already answered this. I would like to unpack that like how where does encounter happen in a culture so devoid of god um 
Uh, is is Anne Marie your? I think this is her. Your fave person from New Jersey? No, our our I'm a favorite person is John Rizaldi from New Jersey. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Brandon. Sorry, yeah, and it's, Annie, I'm there sorry. Is, it's not you. It's not you. It's just John Rizaldi. It's not you. It's is just our favorite him. person from. It's What's his him, name? Is our favorite What's person. What's his name? John Rizaldi, <laughs> our favorite person from New Jersey. One more time for the old people in the back. John Rizaldi. And just so everyone knows, John Rizaldi is the reason why we release at 5 a.m. Because I just imagine if John ever wanted to listen to us at 5 a.m. or at 6 a.m. on Friday as he's driving to work, he can do that in his uh, East Coast time. So that's why I try to get up 5 a.m. Central time. So just to be clear, our favorite person, and this and this, this has been the case since we first um, first found out he was from there or that he lived there back in two thousand one. Our favorite person from New Jersey is John Rizaldi. <laughs> Inside jokes make awesome podcasts. He's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be so angry. I know. Uh, uh, okay, we're good, right? There's a lot of other ones, but uh, what are you more? What are you more pumped for, Endgame or Episode Nine? Uh, episode Nine of Star Wars. Yeah, I'm yeah. not pumped for that at all. Same. Uh, at all. Like, I kind of want to see. Curious. I kind of want to see how they can fix what happened, and I think they they might do a great job. Like, I'm curious in so far as that is. Um, but no, I I every I I was gonna buy Luke and his wife tickets to come see Endgame here with me. Like plane tickets to go see, <laughs> like that's how oh, excited I knew. I know, I know. And we, if we, if we weren't buying a house, and, and we, if we didn't have dogs. You have to pay to board. I know. Yeah, yeah. No, end game, it's end game. Soon. I'm so excited, end game, because I just want to see whether they do with the dead people. I can't wait. I'm, dude. Have you heard about the runtime? Over three hours. Three hours and two minutes. Bam. God bless America. I know. <laughs> the the first time I saw well I can't I, it might have been Infinity War uh, I usually sit there with a Coke Zero and drink it to my heart's content but then I was like nope I'm not getting up to pee for nobody <laughs> and so I didn't eat or drink anything and I was just like oh, it's happening so I think they're gonna do an intermission dear morbidly obese comic book fans <laughs> for the next five <laughs> minutes you're gonna get one tick mark on your Apple Watch please go for a walk. You have 15 minutes to go one quarter or a tenth of a mile oh, to the bathroom. Do you know what I'm really excited to do? I think I can do this on the on the Fitbit. I want to uh, monitor my heart rate while I watch that movie. Oh, that is so funny. Mm-hmm. That like is so funny. Do an e and what is it, an EKG that the Apple Watch does or ECG? Yeah, yeah. That the Apple Watch <laughs> just hold it down the whole time. Ah, ah, ah! Oh, oh Spider Man. I, yes. Hey, can I can I tell you something that shocked me today? Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, man. So I was really pissed off when Marvel released the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home. Were you pissed off about that at all? I was a little bit like, uh, this, why? What if it's a fake out, Luke? What do you mean? What if there, it's not real? There's a conspiracy out there that it's a fake trailer to throw people off the scent of Endgame. 
Wait, so like, are they saying that they, those people could actually be dead? Well, let's say, uh, what's his name? The guy, the, oh, the Jake Gyllenhaal. His character isn't a good guy in the comics. He's somewhat complex, but he's portrayed to be a good dude in the, like a hero fighting alongside Spider-Man. What if it's all a fake out? What if it's all a fake out? Like, okay, so like, wh- why? Like, what would it, like, what, to do what? Well, I mean, here's the deal. They released that trailer. We, what's his name's in the trailer? Spider-Man? Uh, no, well, number one, Spider-Man, who died, uh, a very dramatic scene. But also, uh, what's his name? Fury. Yeah, who's gone, as is Maria Hill. And yet, they're in the trailer. So, but how would, like, how would... Why would they do that? I mean, come on. Why would they do that? Because, okay, so I have a few thoughts on it. But first... This is is why I'm so mad, and now I'm hopeful. I was mad. Now I'm hopeful that I've been lied to by a corporation. Go on. (laughs) What what would the fake out accomplish? That everyone is thinking, uh, you know, because the number one criticism was, well, we know they have contracts for more movies. Come on. And what if they're like, well, okay, shit, a lot of people are saying that. Let's do a fake out here. I mean, there have been plenty of Hollywood movies that have filmed entire alternate endings so that people won't know what's going on and can't leak it. are you saying, like, there's a possibility that those characters are dead, dead, dead? I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, what if they made a trailer? Like, they're actually making a Spider-Man movie, but they made a fake out trailer and it's going to be totally different. Interesting. Or you see these things and it's something it's not what you think it is. Now, it could just be there's a, because everyone knows Spider-Man signed for for a 5-year contract or whatever it is, that of course they're going to make another Spider-Man movie and they're just like, "All right, screw it. Just release. We're already getting yelled at for doing this. Let's just release the trailer because after after an Endgame comes out, we only have two months before or three months before the Spider-Man movie comes out. But wouldn't it make more sense to wait on that trailer and show it at Endgame? Well, I think after Endgame, like a week after Endgame. Yeah, I was yeah a little, or, or whatever. Yeah, I don't. Um, so it's just a totally different movie. Maybe. I don't know, man. It it is so it's weird because so, so Spider-Man's one of those different films because it's actually made by a different company that is licensed to them. I, I don't know exactly how the deal works. Well, so Marvel acquired movie. the rights to the character. Sony acquires Sony's the Sony's the one that makes the movies, but now they're in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Feige gets to direct the the plot lines of them. Right? Sony's the studio that makes it, but it's done within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whereas with Andrew Garfield, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it is. That's all I know. Ugh. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I got a shout-out to Mark Vallone, who said that to me, and it changed my life. It changed my life. Thank He's you. like, I don't think this is true, but I really want it to be true. What if Spider-Man Far From Home was a total fake-out trailer? And I was like, oh, that would make me love Marvel more than my own wife. <laughs> it would be pretty cool. It, it just, my it, wife has never done a fake-out like that for me. <laughs> and she never will. 
Nope.